it's my privilege to preach to us today from Luke chapter 19. So let's go ahead and turn there in our Bibles, please. You know, if there ever was a cry of the disciples' lips, it is what Austin, I think, pointed out a few weeks ago. It is, are we nearly there yet? Ever since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's like 10 chapters ago, you know. He told him 10 chapters ago, we are going to Jerusalem. Over 10 chapters and many weeks and months, he's been walking towards Jerusalem. The disciples must have been wondering, are we nearly there yet? And the truth is, they are nearly there yet. They're now going to be passing through Jericho. Jericho is just 25 kilometers away from Jerusalem. But prior to arriving in Jerusalem, there are two more things that he wants to do. And one of those things involves encountering a man named Zacchaeus. Title for this morning's message I've called Zacchaeus, the little big man. And let's read together chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, I do pray, would you do what any preacher can't do this morning? Would you encounter your people in their hearts through the Holy Spirit? Lord, we come to a very familiar story, but I pray that by your grace it would be rather unfamiliar as we walk through it today. Would you open our eyes to behold all that is going on here? And would you help us to see just maybe we are in the story too? Lord, open our eyes in your precious name. Amen. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous 19th century preacher, would preach to his congregation twice on a Sunday, once on a Sunday morning, once on a Sunday night. His congregation was 5,000 people. He had no PA. He clearly had a very loud voice. He knew everybody's name, and week after week, he'd prepare two messages for his 5,000-strong congregation, one in the morning, one in the night. And then in the week, he would run a pastor's college. It's actually the pastor's college style that we base our sovereign grace pastor's colleges on. He was training these men to be preachers and he was encouraging them to watch not only their doctrine, but their lives as well. And one of the famous features of this pastor's college was that Charles Haddon Spurgeon had what he would call the question oak. It was a large oak tree that was in Spurgeon's estate. And in good weather, he would gather all of his students on a Friday afternoon 
And he would allow them an opportunity to ask him any question that they wanted. That's why it's called the question oak. And then he would pick one of them to do an ad hoc sermon on a topic of his choosing. He was an extremely good preacher. Imagine that pointing to you. And okay, you've got two minutes to think about it. And then I want you to preach on this. Well, on this given day, a rather infamous moment, he looks at one of the students on this memorable occasion right by the oak tree and says, all right, I'm choosing you. You've got two minutes. Prepare. Zacchaeus. Well, this guy sits there. He's like, okay, what am I going to, what am I going to say to these students? What am I going to preach the God's word from Zacchaeus? And he was a rather mischievous young man. So he thought about it for some minutes. He then arose and he said, Zacchaeus was a little man. And so am I. He then ran up the tree. He ascends the tree, he climbs this tree in Spurgeon's garden and he stands on the top branch of the tree and he says, Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. And then he jumps down from the tree to everybody's applause and laughter and says, Zacchaeus came down, so will I. They were his three points and Charles and Spurgeon is just clapping and laughing. It's kind of what boys do. I can see you're not as impressed. But when boys gather together, particularly ministry guys, this, this type of thing is quite amusing to us. And so they were laughing, they're joking. They're like, man, you smashed it. That was hilarious. I learned nothing, but thank you so much. They, they just thought it was amusing that this man would climb the tree and then jump down pretending to be Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus' escapades, they do make for a fun story, do they not? A small little man running up a tree, perched there like a parrot. It is the stuff of humor and the stuff of, well, children's songs as well, is it not? For those of you that have grown up in church, you will have songs about Zacchaeus stuck in your head. There was one stuck in my head all week as I prepared this message. Zacchaeus was a very little man and a very little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know, these type of things get stuck in your head when you're a kid. And so you start to preach on these topics and all you can remember is Zacchaeus was... And you think you've got to get out of that so you can try and serve God's people. And there's no doubt that Zacchaeus is a humorous story. And I think it is okay to have fun with this story and enjoy it. It is certainly written in a fun and enjoyable manner. But we must also remember that behind the humor... There is also a very serious story here taking place. This would be the last encounter with someone that Jesus would have before entering Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus in Jerusalem would give his life away for a ransom, as a ransom for many. But prior to that, there is one more individual he wants to engage with. Zacchaeus. And as he engages with Zacchaeus, it's important that we recognize that even behind the humor, there is a man's life that is being completely changed and transformed by Jesus here. And it's an amazing story when you just see it for what it is. See, in chapter 8, verse 25, Jesus has already said that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. He's saying, listen, it would take a miracle for any rich man to get into the kingdom of God. It is easy if you just squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. Well, one chapter later, we have a very rich man named Zacchaeus. And what Jesus is trying to help us see here is what is impossible with man is possible with God. He can save both poor people and rich people alike. And right here, we see a man's life who is completely changed and transformed the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if we pay attention carefully, 
what you realize is this story is about us as well. And in all truth, for our lives this morning, we need to understand that just like with Zacchaeus, we too have 10,000 reasons to praise. We may think of his story as just mildly amusing and something of kids' stories. But when you pay attention, you realize his story, although details may be different, is just like yours. And it's a miracle. Two points then this morning. Number one, the encounter attended. We're going to tour through the story together. And then number two, the encounter applied. But really just one hope. It's the hope that we would see that just like with Zacchaeus, we too have 10,000 reasons to praise. Number one, the encounter attended. And what an encounter it is. And we are introduced to this encounter in verses 1 through 3. Let's read it together. He says, he, enca- he entered Jericho and was passing through, obviously on the way to Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. You know, from a tax collecting perspective, Zacchaeus had it made. This man is loaded. There are three major places in Rome at this time, or in Judea at this time, overseen by the Romans. Three major places, they're all inland, where you could earn a killing. Capernaum, Jericho, and Jerusalem. They were the three big centers. If you were going to collect taxes and you wanted to be wealthy off the back of that, you want to get a gig at one of those places. Well, Zacchaeus has got not only a gig at Jericho, he is the chief tax collector. He is the top of the Amway tree here. This guy has got it all going on. He is overseeing all the other tax collectors. And as a result, he is very wealthy. See, Jericho has a commanding position at the crossing of the Jordan River. And so it sat at a very strategic point on a trade route between the west, uh, sorry, on the, between the east and the west of Jerusalem. Everybody would pass through this. And of course, as they passed through, he'd be there collecting taxes. Likewise, Jericho was very wealthy in its own right. It was the center of a good deal of local wealth, fueled by the great palm forests and balsam groves. So Zacchaeus is a wealthy man. He is a kingpin tax collector of it all. He has all got it going on, and he is filthy, disgusting, rich. However, that has come at a great price for him. And that great price is the reality that he is hated by his own people. See, he is a Jew, but the Jews hate him. They can't stand him, and they can't stand him because he is a tax collector. See, let me tell you a few things about tax collectors. First of all, tax collectors were known to be the thieves of the day. When you got charged taxes by a tax collector, that tax collector would not only receive what was owed to the Roman government, but they would take as much profit from themselves as they could squeeze out the individual. They were renowned for their corruption. They were renowned for their extortion and dishonesty. As a result, they were so renowned to be thieves that even as Jews, they were excommunicated from the synagogue, excommunicated, in effect, from the very people of God. No one as a Christian, as a Jew, wanted anything to do with tax collectors. They were classed as Gentiles. And to make it worse, they were not only thieves, they were also traitors. They were working with the Roman Empire. They were working with a superpower that had suppressed and oppressed the people of God in Judea. 
So this is a man as a chief tax collector who was very rich, but very despised. No one liked him. No one wanted to be with him. No one would even want to talk to this individual. He was a highly unlikely candidate for the kingdom of God. But he was no match for the grace of God in the end. Well, this man, he has heard that Jesus is going to be passing through town. It doesn't explain why he wants to see him, but he does. See, Jesus was by now in the story incredibly popular. He was a celebrity. Everybody in Judea had heard of this man called Jesus. He's going around healing people. He's feeding the 5,000. He's stilling the storms. He's rebuking demons, people that are riddled with demons, but then he prays for them and the demons leave and they're in the right mound. Everybody has heard of Jesus by now. So very likely Zacchaeus just wants to come out and catch a glimpse of this guy, this celebrity, because today he's passing through town. And so he wants to see him. But the crowd don't let him in. And as it says that he's small in stature, and that really, I think, means not just one thing, but two things. One mean, it does mean he is a midget. This guy is really small. He's probably only an inch or two taller than Brendan Willis. I mean, he's very, very small. Okay, so by himself, he's standing at the back of the crowd, and he can't see over. But it's not just that. He's also small in stature in the way the crowd see him. They could have let him through. No way. Hey, Zacchaeus is at the back. He wants to come through. Get close. You know, it's a bit like in Sydney when you want to pull your car in. Have you ever done that? You know, you want to pull your car in and you see everybody accelerating. So you're like, there's no space in. That's what the crowd's doing in this moment. They're getting real close. Oh, sorry, Zacchaeus. I've trodden on your foot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, elbow. Yeah, yeah. There's no way for him in. The crowd is thick. Jesus is coming. He cannot get in. He is small in stature. He's a midget and they ain't going to let him pass through. Well, Zacchaeus didn't become a chief tax collector just by no wits. He was a clever man. And so he spots a sycamore tree, and so he goes towards it. Verse verse 4 says, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. There was a giant sycamore tree that Zacchaeus put his eyes on. Sycamore trees are about 10 to 12 meters high. They have a short trunk of very wide branches, and so they are, in effect, easy to climb. You can easily shimmer up and then get onto the branches and get over. And so that's what Zacchaeus does. And there he sits, perched like a bird, waiting for Jesus, but completely alone like a tax collector. No friends. Despised by everybody. It's probable that he even did it discreetly so the crowd wouldn't like throw stones at them or try and pull him out the tree or anything. So he's, he's sitting there alone, likely like an orphan, you know, peering out of an orphanage, seeing what's going on outside. There he is, sitting in a tree. And then Jesus comes back. And it's then that the incredible really does happen. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Oh my, what an incredible and remarkable scene this is, is it not? I mean, firstly, he knows his name. How does he know his name? 
It doesn't look like they've ever met before. But Jesus looks into the tree at just the right time and he sees somebody he has known before the foundation of the earth. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. How does he know his name? Here's how he knows his name. Because this is God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. This is the one who is there when Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was knitted together in his mother's womb. This is the one who spins the galaxies. Of course he knows his name. And so he calls him by name Zacchaeus. And then he says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Why not Zacchaeus? I would like to. Uh, Zacchaeus, if you haven't got much on, I'm wondering. No, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Why must he stay at the house today? Well, he must stay at the house today because this moment has been ordained before the very foundation of the earth. Before the earth was even on the axis, the crossing of their lives at the sycamore tree was a work of divine providence and sovereign grace. Before the world even existed, God had ordained that Zacchaeus would be a man that would be a child of God. He predestined him for adoption into the very family of God. Their lives prior to this moment had been profoundly separate. But before the foundation of the earth, he had planned that on this day, he would walk past this sycamore tree and call his name. Zacchaeus, come on down. I must stay at your house today. Well, the crowd's response is kind of what you had expected. They grumble, as you see in verse 7. You are kidding me. I mean, for a start, I didn't realize you were stopping over. And secondarily, if you're going to stop over, why him? No one likes him. He rips off your people. See, as far as the crowd was concerned, he's like the Daryl Maguire or the Eddie Abid of the day. You know, pick somebody else. Pick somebody less shifty. But Jesus wants Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is filled with joy because Jesus is coming to stay with him. Kent Hughes in his commentary says it this way. He says, the glad, le- the glad leap with which Zacchaeus left the tree, twigs and leaves flying, may have revealed to Zacchaeus himself, as it no doubt did to the bystanders, what it was that he had been dimly wishing for all along. From here on, Apart from the crowds muttering, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. There was only joy for Zacchaeus. Pure joy. And so there was. This is Jesus. This is the one that he had heard so much about. This is the one who is famous all around Judea. And he knows my name. And he wants to come and stay at my house. He is skipping out of that tree. He descended with great speed. And he invites Jesus, come now and be with, my, with me. You know, the joy that he's feeling in that moment, very likely his heart is already softening to the gospel. Jesus is already doing something in his heart. And it would appear in God's amazing grace that in that incredible evening, as Jesus spent time with Zacchaeus, likely with his disciples as well, that would have been Palestinian custom at the time to invite them all to come and stay with you overnight. It would appear that sometime in that evening, as Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus, that his life was completely changed and transformed by the living work of Jesus Christ himself. Isn't it wonderful? See, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. 
It's a promise to all mankind. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you make him the king of your life, no longer living for yourself and no longer living for what you can get out of the world, but realize he's the Lord, he's the king, that's why he knows your name. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, i.e. that he died in your place and then God raised him from the dead. He means he's your substitute. If you confess with Jesus that, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then in that very moment you will be saved. You'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll be redeemed by the Father. You'll be adopted into his family and heaven will be your home. Well, that's exactly what Zacchaeus appears to have done on this very evening. Like Thomas, he's likely gone on his knees and explained to him at some point, you are my Lord and my God. I'm all in. I want to follow you. His life has been dramatically changed through the incredible work of Jesus Christ. And how do we know it? Well, you see the fruit of it in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have been defra- if I have defrauded any of any anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I mean, talk about transforming effect of the gospel. You know, when you read the works of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he used to talk about how men in particular needed two gospel transformations, one for their heart and one for their wallet. And it's mischievous, but he's trying to say, you know what, it's so easy for people to say, oh, I'll take you as a savior. And then you start talking about money and they're like, well, I want to keep all that. You know, he's explaining in a mischievous way. That when people are truly affected by the gospel, it affects all of your life, including what you own. Well, Zacchaeus is exhibiting that fruit in spades, is he not? For starters, he commits to giving half of everything he owns. Everything he owns. I'm going to give half of it right off the bat. And then with the other half, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find all the people that I've extorted from, all the people that I've really theft from, and they're going to pay you back fourfold. I'm going to give you four times what I owe you. His life has been dramatically changed by Jesus Christ. Do you remember in chapter 18, we encounter the rich young ruler, and Jesus says, listen, you want to follow me? Great, go and sell what you have. Give it to the poor. He couldn't. He didn't want to. Why? Because the greatest treasure to that rich young ruler was his stuff. And he was more in love with his stuff than he was Jesus. Not so Zacchaeus. He's more in love with Jesus than he his stuff. He's so affected by Jesus. You can have my stuff. I don't care anymore. I've been saved by Jesus. He forgive me. I'm adopted into his family. I don't want to take. I want to give. I want to be his hands and feet here in my town and in my country. Kent Hughes again says it this way. He says, this little man had become a big one. Acceptance by God had given this tax collector what he had vainly sought after through the acclamation of wealth, namely wholeness and satisfaction. The compulsive drive to make money was gone. He no longer needed his wealth. Instead of the passion to get, he now had the passion to give. For he had entered his house, the littlest man in Jericho, but he left it, the biggest man in town, all because of Jesus. Now, wonderful. This little man's life had been wonderfully transformed by Jesus. He entered it, the littlest man in town. Everybody despised him. Everybody hated him. But he leaves it, the biggest man in town. Because people can see so clearly. Something has changed about you, Zacchaeus. Something is radically different. Your joy and your passion, your love for Jesus that is being displayed in the way you're living your life. 
And in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 17, we read, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What James is helping us see is, listen, yeah, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. It's all faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But where that's real, that faith will never be alone. And that's what we see here with Zacchaeus, is it not? We see he has truly put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His life has been radically changed. And as a result, hey, you can take it all. Because <laughs> Jesus is the greatest treasure I have. No longer my stuff. You know, everybody can tell that in this moment, this man's life has been radically changed. He's been saved. But just to confirm, in case there's any doubters in the crowd, Jesus comes out and he lets them know, oh, it's true. He says in verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And now he's just making it clear to Zacchaeus and everybody, it's true. This man is totally saved. He himself has become a son of Abraham. I mean, that might have caused some questions. I mean, aren't we all son of Abraham? We're all Jews. He's a Jew. We're a Jew. No. Galatians 3 verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. True sons of Abraham are sons of faith. Their faith, their people that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's the Lord and Savior of their lives. We're not talking about just ancestry here. We're talking about faith. And that's the case. He has that faith. Just like Abraham had that faith. He's become a true son of Abraham. He is saved. And then in verse 10, Jesus in a very wonderful way just in shorthand, explains to us his divine mission, what it is that he's doing even now and will always do. He says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the last encounter that Jesus has with anybody prior to entering Jerusalem. And he tells them, That's why I've come. To seek and to save the lost. We see it with Bartimaeus in chapter 18, a blind man who is exhibiting profound poverty. He has nothing go for him. He was lost in blindness and poverty. But in a moment, Jesus saves him. Boom! His eyes are opened and he rises and goes forth and follows Jesus. Now we see it with Zacchaeus, a man who is lost in wealth and corruption. He is totally the other end. He's not blind. He's not in poverty. He is stinking rich. But boom, Jesus encounters him. And in a moment, the camel of his life is passed through a needle. And he puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this rich man enters into the kingdom of God. For Jesus has indeed come to seek and save the lost. And my friends, aren't you glad he did? Because it's how we all got here too. Each and every one of us. We're only here because in his grace... He has called our names. Just like Zacchaeus, we too have 10,000 reasons to praise, do we not? Just like with Zacchaeus, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were uninterested in the Lord. We were getting on with our lives. We were at enmity with God, seeing other things that we wanted to build in our lives, things that we were way more passionate about than anything to do with Jesus. But at some time in our lives, a moment of curiosity that even that, you look back in the Bible and realize, even that was the Lord starting to draw you to himself. 
At some point in your life, you have started to have an interest. And then at just the right time, Jesus walked through your life, entered into your sycamore tree and called your name. And it's the only reason why you're here. Because at just the right time, even though you were far away from him, your paths crossed. Because before the foundation of the earth, he chose your name. And then at just the right time, he called your name. You may not have been up a sycamore tree at that time. But it doesn't matter. At some point, he interacted with your life and called your name. Julie, Michelle, Christina, Mike. Just the right time he's come in. Called your name. And my friends, if he hadn't called your name, you would not be here. You'd still be off. Still doing your thing. But in his mercy and in grace, he interacted with your life at just the right time. And he called your name. And you joyfully came towards him, thinking it was all you. <laughs> but actually, you look back and realize it was all him. For even the faith that I exhibited, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, even that faith was a gift from God. It was all him. And so just like Zacchaeus, we too have 10,000 reasons to praise, do we not? So how do we respond to this? How do we respond knowing that my story in reality is just like Zacchaeus's? Well, that's point two, just for the remainder of our time, the encounter applied. What do we do with this now, realizing our faces are indeed in the story. Well, there's three ways I think we can appropriately respond to this text. Three ways that I think the Bible calls us to respond in, in response to the reality that our story is just like Zacchaeus's. How do we respond? Well, three ways. Number one, we respond with humility before God. Genuine humility. Honestly, I think Christians should be people who come through the door on a Sunday shaking their head, amazed. How did I get here? Why did he call my name? Mark Webb, in his commentary, says it this way. He says, God intentionally designed salvation so that no man might boast of it. He didn't merely arrange it so that boasting would be discouraged or kept to a minimum. He planned it so that boasting would be absolutely excluded. Oh, my friends, how true that is. And Zacchaeus is a reminder of us that that is the reality, is it not? You were up a tree. (laughs) You weren't pursuing the Lord. You were there for a nice day to catch a glimpse. And you realize in looking back that that glimpse was only happening because he was starting to call you to himself. And then he called your name. Out of millions lost, he called your name. He called your specific name and you rose and went forth and followed him because he changed your life. And it's only possible because right now he's on his way to Jerusalem to give his life away as a ransom for many. Oh, brothers and sisters, consider your calling, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. My friends, your story of salvation is a story all of grace. Past, present, and future, it is all because of the work of Jesus Christ. And I submit to you then, Christians should be the most humble people walking on the planet. Staggered. You called my name. Out of millions lost. You saw me up a tree. And you called my name. You called my name because you wanted to have dinner with me. And you wanted to have dinner with me because you wanted to save me. Oh, my friends, all of our stories are the same. They're stories of profound grace. So how do we respond? Well, number one, we respond, I think, with humility before God. Who am I? Who am I that you do this for me? Second way we respond, I think, is with assurance from God. Assurance from him. See, this is the most unlikely place, perhaps, to find in the Bible any assurance from God as to our salvations. But I think if we pay attention carefully, we remember and realize this is a wonderful place to discover assurance from God. You see, if we were the ones that authored and started our faith, if all this was initiated by us, then surely we could lose it. But what if our salvation wasn't initiated by us? What if it was initiated by him? What if it's only taken place because, because he called your name before even the foundation of the earth? What if before life even began, he predestined you for adoption into the very family of God? Exactly what Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 4. What if it all started with him, which is why he called your name at exactly the right time? If it all started with him, then you can't lose it. And that's exactly what Paul tells us in Romans 8, verses 30 to 31. He said, and those whom he predestined, he also called. <laughs> and those whom he called, he also justified. Oh, amen. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? The apostle Paul is saying, hey, heads up. If he predestined you, then he called you. If he called you, then he saved you by his grace. If he saved you by his grace, he will glorify you. That's a reference to the last day when you stand before Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, clothed in his righteousness alone and receive welcome home, son, welcome home, daughter. That's what glorified is. He's saying if this story has started in your life, it started with Jesus and it will end with Jesus. It's why he tells us in Philippians 1 verse 6, and I am sure of this, I'm sure of it, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. My friend Zacchaeus carried on worshiping the Lord. Bartimaeus carried on worshiping the Lord. My friends, if he called your name, you will carry on worshiping the Lord. One day you will stand before him, complete, glorified, and you will be able to declare, it was him that held me fast. 
Because such is his grace. And such is his mercy. If this story started with you, you could lose it. But the point of Zacchaeus is that this story didn't start with you. It started with him calling your name. And the very one that called your name guarantees, I will carry it on to completion, the work that I started in you. We respond then to this story, I think, with humility before God and assurance from God. And then finally, I believe we respond with gratitude towards God. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, to know that from eternity, my maker, for seeing my sin, foreloved me and resolved to save me, though it would be at the cost of Calvary. To know that the divine son was appointed from eternity to be my savior, and that in love he became man for me and died for me and now lives to intercede for me and will one day come in person to take me home. To know that the Lord, who loved me and gave himself up for me, and who came and preached peace to me through his messengers, has by his spirit raised me from from spiritual death to life-giving union and communion with himself, and has promised to hold me fast and never let me go. This is knowledge that brings overwhelming gratitude and joy. And so it does, does it not? Christians should be happy people. Why? Well, because everything's going perfect in their lives all the time. No, trials do come. We should be the happiest people because he called my name. Heaven is going to be my home. He forgave me of my sin. He adopted me into his family. He redeemed me by his grace. The only thing I contributed to my salvation is my sin. He contributed everything else and he called my name. We should live, I think, not only humbled by his grace, but ecstatic that it's actually true of us. Gratitude, I think, should be our theme. Zacchaeus, ever so clearly in this, in these verses, he, after interacting with Jesus and giving his life to Jesus, was so amazed that he offered his entire life as a living sacrifice in response to what Jesus Christ had done. That's why he gave everything away. He's just like, I'm all in, whatever it takes. You can take my money, you can take my time, you can, you can have all my joy, because I'm joyful, I'm amazed. And my friends, if we are wise, we will realize that he deserves the same from us. He's given it all for us. He who was rich became poor for us, so that while we were poor, we may become rich in his grace, amazed at all that he's done. Amazed that he's called your name. Amazed that heaven is your home. My friends, just like with Zacchaeus, we too have 10,000 reasons to praise, do we not? This isn't just a humorous kid's story that we tell our kids and we laugh about here how he was, just one or two inches bigger than Brendan Willis. If we don't just stop there. We realize this is a wonderful interaction of grace with Jesus and a man who is stinking rich. But at the right time, their paths crossed. And he called his name. And he saved him. His story is just like ours. The very fact that you live in Sydney makes us in like the top 0.1% of the richest people in the world. Statistically, It is harder to pass a camel through the eye of a needle than save you. But Jesus isn't about statistics. He's about miracles. 
He called your name. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So may we be humble. May we be assured. And may we be grateful to the day we die. Let's pray. Lord, what a precious interaction this is with Zacchaeus. Oh Lord, as we think now of you starting to walk forward and make your way to Jerusalem, we are aware this is your last interaction with an individual where you save them in this moment. Well, thank you for giving us this moment in scripture where we see ourselves. Thank you where we realize we too have been on the end of that divine call. Thank you. And may we never stop saying thank you. Because you're worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church.